Welcome to the Lion's Roar Dharma Center podcast from Dona Darge Temple. This public talk by a student of Lama Yeshe Jinpa was recorded during a regularly scheduled Sunday service. Oh, Good morning, everybody. Again, my name is Susan, and I'm one of Lama Jinpa's students. So, the talks over the last several months have focused on community and on the vision of uh, an enlightened community, the Shambhala vision of an enlightened community. So today we're going to stick with that theme, but narrow it a little bit, and it's going to be sort of a micro-community. We're going to talk about friendship. So friendships that you have within and, you know, just friends that you've had throughout your life. Um, Dharma friends, regular friends, school friends, siblings, you know, but friendship. And I don't really have a whole lot prepared. I have some, but not a lot, so I'm hoping that we're going to be able to share some. Um, So most of you probably know, or some of you know, um, the Buddha talked uh, and taught about friendship. And there's a couple of sutras that I found. One of them is very famous and probably most everybody knows of it, um, where he talks about friendship. And so... He's talking in this particular sutra with his longtime attendant, Ananda, who is also his cousin. So this is what he has to say about friendship. Thus have I heard. On one occasion, the Blessed One was dwelling among the Sakyans, where there was a town of the Sakyans called Nagaraka. Then the Venerable Ananda approached the Blessed One, paid homage to him, sat down to one side and said, Venerable Sir, this is half of the spiritual life. That is, good friendship, good companionship, good comradeship. Not so, Ananda, not so, Ananda. This is the entire spiritual life. That is, good friendship, good companionship, good comradeship. When a monk has a good friend, a good companion, a good comrade, it is to be expected that he will develop and cultivate the Noble Eightfold Path. And then he goes on and explains how a monk with good friends and good companions develops and cultivates the Noble Eightfold Path. And then he ends the sutra with this. By the following method too, Ananda, it may be understood how the entire spiritual life is good friendship, good companionship, good comradeship. Be relying upon me as a good friend, Ananda. Beings subject to birth are freed from birth. Subjects, beings subject to aging are free from aging. And so on and so on. And then he says, beings subject to sorrow, lamentation, pain, dejection, and despair are freed from sorrow, lamentation, pain, dejection, and despair. By this method, Ananda, it may be understood how the entire spiritual life is good friendship, good companionship, good comradeship. So he's talking about, you know, just regular friends, regular companions. But then he also refers to himself. And he doesn't mean so much me, 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 the Buddha, myself. He's talking about the Dharma, how the Dharma is actually by relying upon me, the Buddha, but relying upon the Dharma as a good friend being subject to all of these things that we are subject to in samsara 
can become free of all of these things in samsara. So that's one of the sutras that the Buddha taught. And then I found another one, um, which is not quite as short as the other one, and I'm just going to summarize it, but I do have it with me if you want to look at it. Um, there is this discourse called the Meg Meghiya Sutra, and Meghiya was a monk that the Buddha was discussing this, this friendship with, and so that's why the sutra is named the Meghiya Sutra. Um, It talks about an eager young monk, Meghia, who wanted to practice meditation alone in a peaceful mangrove grove. He had gone into town to beg for alms, and on his way back, he saw this mangrove grove, and he thought, oh, that looks really nice. That'd be a great place to meditate. Let me go ask the Buddha, see what he thinks. So he asked the Buddha, if the Blessed One gives me permission, I would like to go to the mangrove grove to exert myself in meditation. And the Buddha responded, As long as I am still alone, stay here until another monk comes. And basically, according to the commentary I was reading, that uh, he's asking the young monk to stay until somebody else comes along so that they can both go to meditate in the mangrove grove so that he will have someone to meditate with. But Megahia is sort of impatient, as young monks are, and he asked, and finally the third time that he asked, he said, the, I would like to go to the mango grove to exert myself in meditation. And finally the third time the Buddha said, okay, you know, go ahead. And so he did. He went to the mango grove to meditate, and it did not go well. So when he finished his meditation, he came back to report to the Buddha the meditation was anything but peaceful and fruitful. Instead, he told the, mind, the Buddha, his mind was overcome by malicious, lustful, and confused thoughts and were led to believe by the subsequent words that the Buddha said to him that this inexperienced monk and inexperienced meditators become overcome by disturbing emotions, disturbing thoughts. One of the reasons because they're all alone and then they become really totally self-absorbed, totally self-conscious because they're all alone. So the Buddha said, Maghya, in one whose awareness is still immature, five qualities bring it to maturity. First, there is the intimacy with admirable people who are friends, companions, and colleagues. This is the first quality that brings the mind to maturity. The second is virtuous conduct. The third is frequent conversation, which inspires and encourages practice. The fourth is energy and enthusiasm. And the fifth is insight into impermanence. But he didn't leave it there. The Buddha said he emphasized the importance of the first one by repeating the entire list in this way. He said, when there is intimacy of admirable friends, companions, and colleagues, there is virtuous conduct. When there is intimacy of admirable friends, companions, and colleagues, there is frequent conversation which inspires and encourages practice. 
When there is the intimacy of admirable friends, companions, and colleagues, there is energy and enthusiasm and so on. So in other words, friendship is the most important element on the spiritual path and everything else just naturally flows from that. So from the very beginning, the importance of friendship has been emphasized in the Buddha's teachings. So does anybody, has anybody else had um, a teacher um, talk to them about friendship or have you read another sutra that the Buddha brings up the importance of friendship? Because occasionally, I mean, I've, I've found some readings, some teachings by some other teachers, um, but nobody's, okay. Um, so anyway, I've been reflecting on a few of my own sort of long-term friendships. What brought us together? What kept us together? Matter of fact, one of my long-term friends, a, a woman who's a member of this Sangha, Charlotte, is the one who brought me to the Dharma a um, number of years ago, 12, 13 years ago, when I was going through a really difficult period of time, she brought me a book that was called Awakening the Buddha Within. And um, she and I have been coming to Lion's Roar together for about 12 years now. So, you know, it's due to a good friend that I, I found the, the Dharma, you know. Can't be better than that. Um, another woman friend of mine, um, I'll call her Chris, um, I've known and hung out with for, oh, 20, 25 years now. And we met in a book club. Um, we didn't have a lot in common. We, she's, um, we both were avid gardeners at that period of time, and obviously we were readers. But outside of that, we really didn't have a lot in common. But one time after, I don't know, three or four book club meetings, I mean, this was the most amazing thing. She actually came up to me and she said, you know, I really like you, and would you like to be my friend? And I just went, whoa, you know? Uh, and I asked her about that just a few days ago, or a few weeks ago. She's never done that before or since, you know? And of course, I've never had that happen either. But I mean, you know, what do you do, right? You say, well, sure, thanks. Yeah, that would be great. And so for 20, 25 years, we've been hanging out together. Um, we've had other companions, and most of them have fallen by the wayside. Many of them have died. Um, we've gone through a lot of ups and downs, personally. Uh, and the thing that I really credit the friendship with, I think that there's many things, but one of the main things is we just stuck with it on both sides. I call, you call. Let's do this, let's do that. How are you doing? I haven't seen you in a few weeks. You know, we both stuck with it. We both stayed in touch. Sometimes more, sometimes less, depending on what was going on. But I think that was a really important, or one of the most important elements in, in maintaining our friendship. Um, you've probably all had the experience where it's been kind of one-sided. You've made all of the overtures, and they, whenever you call, I go, oh, yeah, sure, I'd like to go to the movies. But do they ever call you to go out to the movies or to just chat? No. So it's all one-sided. What happens to those friendships? And they kind of peter away, right? At least that's what they've done for me. Um, 
So I looked up what His Holiness the Dalai Lama had to say about friendship. And there was a list of sort of pithy quotes. And one term kept popping up over and over again. So I'll run this one by you and then I want to know what you think about this. He says, the basis of friendship is trust. And warm-heartedness is essential if we are to live happy lives. And another quote was, and trust brings friendship, as a result of which you can always feel happy. Whether you look to the right or to the left, you will always be able to smile. Isn't that lovely? So is that agreed that trust is like a big thing in friendship? And so how do you build it? How do you build trust? Being trustworthy. What does that mean? You have to act in a manner that uh, allows people to trust you, essentially. That's trustworthy to me. Okay. It's what does that mean to others? What is, what is behind you, Peter? Um, I would add just showing up when you say you're going to show up, how you're going to show up, right? It's the just repeatability of it. So if I say I'm going to be there, I'm going to do something, you know, I show up and do it. If not, then that damages trust. Yeah. But then there's an opportunity to discuss what happened, and that can rebuild trust and can actually strengthen it too. So. I think there's always opportunity with whatever happens if you're open, right? Yeah, there's another quality there, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, I've learned to build trust is to do so gradually over time, um, starting with something small and then deepening intimacy when it feels safe for both people. So safety, so you don't feel not not rushing from um, like um, superficial relations to something deeply intimate, you know, oversharing and overwhelming the capacity of the relationship. Ah, yeah, that's good. that that okay. takes time. Okay. Dirk, you had something. Andrea, I think Dirk, did you have something? No. Okay. Anybody else? Okay. Um, oh, sorry. Ian, right? Liam. Okay. Yeah, you're Ian. Right. <laughs> I really think that not lying, because if you get caught in a lie, that's just kind of the worst thing they look at you. And I can't trust you. I can't trust anything that you say. Yeah. Why would I trust anything that you do? Yeah. And okay. so. Wanna, Precept. Yeah. Don't yeah. lie. Everything's easier that way. It's all right. <laughs> Pain now is happiness, joyfulness later, so that's all right. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Thank you. And behind, oh, behind you, actually, Roberto. Complicated buggers. Yeah. This is. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> this is ideal, like not to lie, be a good friend, and this and that, and the person be trust and all that. But in the real, in the reality, if we all have friends, 
is one day your friend says something that hurt you. And uh, can you still be friends? Can you go over it? Can you deal with that? What if the person hurt you one day? Can you, can you still be a friend? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I think we, there, there is like a, not a line. In ideal, when we talk about this, we, we try to talk like there is a line, exactly a rule that you have to follow. In reality, it's more like, can you forgive this? Can you, can yeah. you go beyond this? Yeah, yeah, good. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, that's very good. I, I think um, that's a really good point. I've had a, f a friend for like 40 years, and it's even before that. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Um, but the idea of if they say something that hurts you, I think if you have built trust, over a period of time and gone with the intimacy in a, a way that builds at a time, um, it's, you can then maybe focus on the forgiveness, you know, and you can work on that. Yeah. So I, it's all a package. But I think true friendship, you do forgive and you talk about it. You might mention this is something that hurts me that they might not even know or intended at all. Might, they thought, might have thought it was a joke. And it, and it hit you. Right, right. And so if you're not open to talking about it from a history of trust, you know, then the forgiveness won't happen and the friendship won't last. Right. So. Thank you. <laughs> and, then, and then Dirk behind you afterwards. Yeah. Well, uh, to me, this all segues into the uh, friendship with a spiritual teacher. We're going to go there. Okay, so I'll yeah. stop. Okay, yeah, we'll, we'll go there, right. But that was, actually, that wasn't the focus of what Lama wanted to explore, though. What do you, you know, the, the spiritual teacher is a huge thing, and the, and the Buddha talked about that, um, or at least alluded to it. Um, but what he really wanted us to talk about is us, us. How do we coalesce? How do we trust? How do we build? Because, huh? All I meant was that it's the same. Well, then we'll go there. Okay. The way that we get to the spiritual teacher well, part. The kind of well, and, there, and there's a woman back there. Yeah. I'm really loud, so I'm really self-conscious about being really loud. No, we're recording, <laughs> so that's why oh, the mic. Oh, okay, I yeah, got you. Yeah. Um, so I think consistency. I think about shampooing my hair, right? Rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat. <laughs> um, is is how you build trust, and I think when I know that I'm there is when I'm having a conversation and I feel like my soul is expanding. I just become bigger than my, myself mm. after a conversation with that person. Um, that's when I know I've reached that threshold. But to gain the trust, I think it's consistency. Somebody said showing up or just... I mean, for lack of a better term, boringly, that's not a word, but just re repeating yeah, and just yeah, yeah, right. exactly. being consistent. Yeah. Thank you. So um, about 12 years ago with this same friend um, that I was talking about, 
something happened that really, really strengthened our bond. Without each of us knowing it, she started doing Dharma practice with another group, another tradition here in town, about the same time that I started coming to Lion's Roar. And one day over lunch, uh, we had both been maybe practicing for about six months. Um, she said, you know, I got something to tell you. And so she told me that she was practicing with this, this Buddhist group. And I went, oh my God, <laughs> guess what? So am I. And what had always been a really fun and supportive and interesting companionship for, you know, a good 10 years by that point has over the intervening 10 or 12 or so years cemented into a friendship that is often inspiring, um, occasionally pretty challenging, um, encouraging, enriching. What was once a really strong social connection has morphed into something that is a very, very strong, much stronger emotional and spiritual connection. So, you know, Lama, what does he call, sometimes he calls... Um, Karmic hmm? No, I was thinking when he talks about um, Dharma Club, right? Oh, oh. Right, yeah. So, I mean, so that's the social aspect, and we all but have he, that. He talks about Dharma Club negatively. Hmm? He always talks about Dharma Club. I know, Club. exactly, yeah. And so, you know, and, the, and that's, that's a, it's a, but it starts with a strong social connection, you know, and so that's, you know, that's why we have um, these gatherings after the Sunday service. It's why we have all the stuff that's going to be going on over New Year's. You know, we make these strong social connections and then maybe through that, that's the way we start developing trust and the consistency of contact and all of that. And then when we realize that we're studying Dharma, then the thing begins to enlarge and open and become much, much richer and much, much deeper. That's what I experienced in this friendship. Um, there's other parts, there's parts of the spiritual life that deepen our commitment to one another. Um, and it's already been mentioned a couple of times. Um, Openness, honesty, transparency. Um, another quote from His Holiness. Being honest and truthful engenders trust, and trust leads to friendship and a good reputation. Because we all need friends, honesty and transparency are a basic aspect of human nature. So we did talk about honesty. And the way that this translates for me personally is that there are um, a couple of aspects of myself related to being honest and transparent that have developed and emerged over the years of Dharma practice. Um, I've learned how to be a friend of myself. That's one very big thing in, in Buddhist um, practice is being, who's your best friend? 
Yeah, your best friend is yourself, learning to be your best friend. And what I mean by that is I've learned to understand what, or at least to some degree, what um, my prejudices are, what my preferences are, what my abilities and my shortcomings are, um, what my behaviors are. Some of them are virtuous, some of them are not so virtuous. Sometimes I'm helpful and sometimes I'm not. And sometimes I'm just downright weird. You know, I mean, we're all like that and we get to know all these aspects of ourselves. Really, really important. A great deal of that, of course, comes from our meditation practice. But there is something that is really powerful about, and this is where, uh, going back to Roberto, what you were saying about where's the line, you know, and and being hurt. Um, There's something very powerful about a trusted friend saying something to you, confronting you with something really upfront, personal, out loud, that really stops, at least stops me in my tracks and really makes me pay attention. Example, this same friend a number of years ago said to me, um, sometimes I really have to sort of gather up my courage to give you a phone call. And I'm like, excuse me, what? But you know what, I knew exactly what she was talking about. You know, I did. I used to be really annoyed by the phone, just really annoyed. This is actually pre-iPhone, so this is a long time ago. I used to be really annoyed by the phone. Um, After all, like I'm usually doing something, right? I'm busy. So who is it that's going to um, interrupt very important me doing something very important, right? You know, da-da-da. So I get really annoyed. And it came through in my voice when I answered the phone. I knew that, but nobody ever called me on it. But she did. You know, she had my best interests at heart. I hurt her. It was harmful behavior. And she trusted our friendship enough to be able to say something like that. And her honesty and truthfulness led me to looking at something that I really needed to change. So I did. You know, it wasn't that hard. I mean, because I, you know, I really knew. I really did. And so I changed it. So, but it was the quality of her openness and her honesty and my trust and her trust and the transparency of our relationship um, that enabled that to happen. Anybody else got stories like that? Come on. I mean, that's kind of what you were talking about, right? Yeah. yeah. But I was, I was thinking about language and how tricky it is. Like, and uh, the word friends, like people who uh, connect to me in a deeper level, in a, let's say, my Buddha nature level, I, I call friends. 
But people who relate to me in my ego, also we call friends. It's not, I mean, actually there is a difference, right? My, my ego is not even my, my, my friend, <laughs> unless I learn some <laughs> lessons from it, right? You can look like an enemy inside, or you can say, well, it's my enemy, but I can learn something from it. So, actually, the, the people that I choose to have around, we, we, we make some choices. We, put, we push people away, and we bring people closer in how we behave. And, and um, the way we pick those things tell about, about us. Tell, yeah. Like if, what kind of person you want to be. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What, what part of you you want to develop. So, uh, and also if I look back, people that I push away that uh, was actually being good to me in, a, in my Buddha nature level, <laughs> and they push away, so like, why, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and people who I attract, who re really have a very superficial uh, relationship based on interest or, or something. So why why we do that? So it's if you, we can always go a little deeper inside and, and ask why why how we pick how we choose our our friendships. Yeah, thank you. Well, I sort of I was thinking along the same lines as what Roberta is saying. Um, I, I've had very few people that I really think of as friends in my life. And uh, that's not because I haven't had a lot of companions. It's because I kind of reserved the word. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, and the the whole thing that you're talking about, with like you began with the Buddha saying companions are the whole spiritual life. Mm -hmm. uh, when I first started on the Vajrayana path in New York City, I had a small group of people that weren't yet quite my friends but they were very much spiritual companions. And then for a variety of reasons, most of them having to do with work and money and stuff, the whole the group dissipated all over the country. And uh, after that, I wound up, honestly, since then, that was in 1994, and since then, until I came here, I never had that again. Uh, and, and, and since then, from that time forward until I came to Lion's Roar, I never had that again. A sangha, the, the, not not the lamas. I had the lamas, <laughs> but I, but I didn't have I didn't have uh, other people with with a couple of exceptions, a couple of individual exceptions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, I didn't have that a an ongoing companionship with 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 people in a sangha. And that's really, uh, I think that's very important. And that's is one that, of the re main reasons I came here. It is that because you didn't have a sangha or you didn't find a sangha that was compatible? Because the sanghas that I experienced were, I didn't really want to be part of them. Hmm. So what's the difference? Uh, the difference here, I think, really comes from the Lama. Yeah. In, you know, okay, there you go. But, but it's also... It's also it also has to do with how the lineages form and what kind of experience the other people have, and there's also some there are other aspects. Um, but bring in what you were going to say about the spiritual guide. 
the friendship with the spiritual teacher? Because I think that sounds like real relevant. Well, well when, the reason I thought of it before is because you were talking, people were talking about trust. And, and Roberto in particular then said, uh, talked about if something goes wrong, can you forgive and you know, cross these lines of, which I've had. You know, actually, my closest friend kept me away from the Buddhist path for a few years, but that's a different story. Uh, and a very trustworthy and open, smart person. But uh, that—that's to me, that's samaya. Uh, the, the, we use the word samaya a lot with the lama. Mm -hmm. You know, the relationship with the lama is samaya. We have it with each other. There we go. Yeah, good. Yeah, tell the. Um, that's going to be a new term to probably half the people in here. So talk about Samaya just a bit in relationship to friendship and, and all that. Yeah. Well, well, Samaya is that level of, uh, you know, it's honesty, integrity, openness, uh, transparency, uh, reliability, connection. 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 Yeah. And then Matthew in the back. Uh, what this is bringing up for me is thinking about my five-year-old daughter, Penelope, that many of you know. She's very outgoing. Yeah. And she'll, she'll run up to children her age in public wherever we are and say, hey, what's your name? And they tell her her name. She goes, I'm, my name is Penelope Sprout Cruz. You can call me Penny. Do you want to be my friend? And like this is a very regular occurrence that I witness in my life. And um, the reactions, I think, are very poignant to this discussion because some of the children are very bold and ready to go. Some really consider it momentarily and then say yes. Some consider it and say no. Others are, you can tell, just completely frightened and shut down, hide, and... I think um, that to me is is Samaya, that honesty, and if we're going to, if I'm going to allow that connection, and so a lot of the consistency for me and what I consider spiritual friendships and trust isn't a person who um, is always acting upright for me, but understands where they're at and is okay with it to say, like, I don't seem to have a really good handle on being on time. Like, the, that's something that I can expect from them, that they'll always be late. And it seems like it's a lot easier for me to accept those aspects of someone if they, they're accepting it in themselves and yeah, working on it. Yeah. And that that level of tenderness towards themselves and that ability to be honest about hard things, it makes it very workable. And then that really allows the space for me to be the same way and to start um, accepting myself as imperfect um, and then with kind of a more positive attitude around those imperfections, taking positive steps um, in friendship to have a better life with those difficulties. Great, thank you, yeah. Yeah, Penny is like that, yeah. Up here. <coughs> Connor. Yeah. Um, 
having actually been the person who's walked up to someone as an adult and said, will you be my friend? Um, there is sort of a, an aspect of friendship that I think that trust comes first in a way. Uh, you do have to trust um, to have a friend, right? I don't think that friend, I think friendship builds over time and I think you have to have trust at least at some level first. Um, you know, I think at some level we all take refuge before we really know Lama very well. Um, there's just a relationship that builds, but there's trust that you have to have to be able to ask for refuge first. So there, there is sort of this balance that happens there. Um, I have a good friend who has a saying, trust but verify. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I take that to heart whenever I have a friend who has something critical to say about me that I reflect on it. And I trust that comment first, but I reflect on it. So it's not that I absolutely accept that as the truth and as you know, a fact about me or, or a fact about the, re- the reality of the world. But I will reflect on it and see if that's something that um, I need to change or that I want to change or that is something true about me. So mm-hmm. I trust, but I verify. Um, and I, I think that trust comes first before true friendship, at least in my life. And I have to trust people. You know, I have to be able to trust people driving their cars, but they're not my friends. Uh, you know, there's a level of trust within society generally, but there's a greater level of trust with people that I bring close. Um, and those people that I bring close are not necessarily my friends first, but hopefully they become my friends. So I think friendship is a, a much deeper connection that I have with people that builds over time. So you may not be my friend today, but you might be my friend next week. Right, right, yeah. And I think that, you know, I'm picking up from something that that several of you said, that um, we take refuge before we're completely, before we really know many of us, not all of us, but before we really know what our relationship is with um, our teacher, we'll take refuge. But that goes back to what the Buddha said in that first sutra. You know, when you're taking refuge, it's in the Dharma and the teacher who's teaching the Dharma. But it's the Dharma, it's the teachings, it's the life, it's the philosophy, it's the love, it's the connection. Yeah, but how much of that do we really know after, you know? Huh? How much of the Dharma do we really know after a month or a year or two years? I mean, there's... There's so yeah. much dharma to yeah. know, right? I mean, there's yeah. yeah, it's view though. Right. Yeah. So this is a good segue into um, another quote that I found from Chogam Trungpa. So, um, so this is the level of friendship um, within community. Um, so personal friendships within community. Um, he's. This is what he said. And then I've got a, a, a comment that I think was from Judy Leaf, who's um, uh, done extensive work in, in editing his, his teachings. Um, this is from Shogam Trunkpa. The Sangha is the community of people who have the perfect right to cut through your trips and feed you with their wisdom. 
as well as the perfect right to demonstrate their own neuroses and be seen through by you. Talk about transparency, openness, right? The companionship within the Sangha is a kind of clean friendship without expectation, without demand, but at the same time fulfilling. So here's what the commentary, the comment that I found. Chogam Trungpa Rikpache refers to the Sangha as a clean friendship. In this sense, our relationships are defined by the quality of clean. Clear, precise, lucid, cutting, but also light and sparkling. This quality is rooted in friendship. Cutting is done with kindness. Clarity isn't cold and rigid. And being direct comes from a place of compassion rather than aggression. This type of clarity can be frightening at times as it shocks us into the present. I don't know if you've had that happen, but I have. It's just like, whoa. And it's just like really, really wakes you up. When we become tight and act from a place of ego, the Sangha holds up a mirror to us. Sometimes we don't like what we see. But there is nowhere to hide. Our habitual tendency is often to want to run away or blame another person. Happens all the time, right? Putting up a barrier between self and other. But that reflection forces us to tear the barrier down. That takes guts, by the way. It slices away at our ego. Cultivating this clean friendship can be central in our approach to the Sangha. Pretty powerful stuff, huh? So, I mean, you really... I mean, this is a place of practice. This is not... What, what? Sangha's like sandpaper. Oh, yeah, right, right. Uh-huh. It reminds me of what Lama always says, that Sangha is like sandpaper, and we're all kind of bumping against each other and rubbing off all the rough edges. So we're kind of smoothing and shaping each other. Um, and I think, yeah, I, it really is, you know, that level of transparency and honesty, but tempered with kindness compassion and compassion and, kindness, and love. Because right. yeah. um, something Lama said recently really struck with me is that, you know, people who kind of like use Dharma as a weapon where it's like maybe what they say is correct, but it's not said with kindness. And so what's it worth then? Yeah. yeah. Interesting things is when you hear opinions and how to react to those opinions. You know, you expect everyone to think the same way as you do, but then you find out it's not that way. And uh, <coughs> if I feel I can get away with it, I can also often say something kind of cutting to people, but that's not dharmic. You know, it's better to maybe, is it better just to say nothing? And, you know, eventually they'll get tired of not getting a response back. And, you know, what's... How does that relate to friendship? What's the best thing to do in that case? Uh, to maybe inquire and as to why they say feel that way? Sure, yeah. yeah. Right. 
And just like, I don't, I don't even know who Bernie Glassman is or why he's a really great Zen teacher. And he had this just saying, it's just my opinion, man. You know, it's just, it's just my opinion. And, and so it's, it's getting ego all attached to, it's just my opinion. And so if you have a natural curiosity towards somebody's opinion, and it's not part of your ego trip, like, oh, really? You think that? Huh. That's really interesting. Tell me more. Yeah, like that. Yeah. But, it's, you know, it's just my opinion. <laughs> but, yeah, we do that, right? You expect us all to think alike. Sorry. <laughs> I was just thinking what Dirk said about um, finding this sangha after a long period of time. I too would have been many different places. Um, and I, I, I've thought about the difference. What is the difference here? And I do believe it's the Lama. But I also believe um, what I have found here, the feeling is very welcoming. And there are some uh, sandpaper moments all the time. But, and I'm finding that too. But I realize that everyone here that I have met is really sincerely trying to make it better. I, I mean, it, not only are they welcoming and smiling and, and friendly, which is very helpful for new people, but they, since they really want to make it better. And if some conflict comes or I'm hurt by something someone says, I realize that soon there's a smile or there's some way that we're recognizing that everyone's truly trying. And, and it's a wonderful uh, place to be. Here we go. But <laughs> confession know, that, of the soul. <laughs> and that's a, that's a good segue into um, one other, I think, major aspect of companionship and of sangha. Um, for those of you who come to these late evening practices that we have, Vajrasattva starts at 9 o'clock. Um, Medicine Buddha starts at 7. We have evening meditations, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday nights. We have early morning meditations, seven days a week. For those of you who come to those things, do you come maybe because, it's, because you have friends who are coming? Do you come maybe because you know that there is an energy within the group and that's part of what draws us in is the energy that happens? I mean, remember what was one of the... There's my first page. Yeah, that um, intimacy with admirable people who are friends, companions, and colleagues brings about energy and enthusiasm. So, um, and I think part of what you were talking about is also the energy that we bring to each other and we bring to um, just, well, I'm going to go because so-and-so is going to be there, you know, and I like practicing in a group. Do, you, do, do any of you feel that when you're in a group practicing, that you can feel the energy of other people? Yeah, so... Right, right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. 
So um, the last thing I have to say is a comment that I got from an article by Gil Fronsdahl, who is a um, Zen priest and also a Theravadan practitioner and a translator. Um, and as was one of my teachers when I was taking a, a chaplaincy class, and this is what he said about friendship. Friendship also teaches us that the fruits of practice are not something we keep for ourselves. They are something that we share. We can be good friends to others. As we become freer, we are thereby granting greater freedom to others. It's kind of what I think Matthew was saying, as we become freer, we grant greater freedom to others. At least in terms, and this, this is what I thought was even funny, at least in terms of liberating them from having to contend with our greed, hatred, and prejudices. So, a couple of other comments from His Holiness the Dalai Lama. Compassion enhances our inner strength reduces fear, and causes friends to gather around us. To be a contented human being, we need trust and friendship, which tends to develop, this is cute, which tends to develop much better once we realize that all beings have a right to happiness, just as we do. The only thing that will bring friendship is affection and warm-heartedness. This really brings inner strength and self-confidence, reduces fear, develops trust, and trust brings friendship. So any other comments? Yeah. Uh, we need a mic over here. Oh. Um, there's a... <clears throat> A very interesting thing that happens in spiritual communities and political groups and clubs and that is there's a, oftentimes a group thought there's a certain <coughs> parameter of acceptable and non-acceptable behavior and um, in a really good group that's always moving and it's always self-reflective and I get that here and I've been to a lot of Dharma centers as I think many of us have and I've been to a lot of Christian centers and it doesn't always show up like that it shows up as spiritual materialism mm -hmm. and so when there's this authenticity and this deep self-reflection and, and it really shows up when somebody like admits their mistakes to you <laughs> it just creates this really safe place right if you know somebody's been through some stuff in life it's much easier to share your shit with them mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that's what makes this place special to me I get that all the time when I talk to people here so. thank you this has been a Lions Roar Dharma Center recording for more information visit lionsroardharmacenter.org